0: Father, we continue in our worship this morning. You're worthy of every song, of every praise. You're worthy of, of everything, Lord. And and Lord, we're mindful of how short we fall. But thank you that in Christ we are complete. That our worship is acceptable unto you because of Jesus. And we only ask now that, that our worship will continue to be pleasing unto you. Help us through the Through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, help me to preach according to your word, not according to my own wisdom. Father, it's foolishness. It's, it's about you. It's about Christ. And I, that's my desire. You know my heart. And I also know that you know the heart of your people. Father, give them the, let them put on their thinking caps. May the Holy Spirit use your word to convict hearts. Especially those that are not walking with you, those that are afar from you, that those that are dead in their trespasses, even right now, as we're praying, that you would once again um, bring life out of death, that those that don't know you would come to know you today. And those that are walking at a distance from you, that they would draw near once again to the throne of grace. And for your people, that they would have the joy of their salvation returned to them. For whoever may be struggling, for whoever may be just hurt, wounded father. Just pray that you would be with them. Be with all of us. We ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So as we continue in in Acts nineteen, I just starting my timer because everyone told me to. Says it's good. Um, I've been trying it; actually, does work. Uh, so it helps. It's good for you. But in in Acts chapter nineteen, we find ourselves here, uh, looking at what Paul's been doing, right? Last week, we saw what the indwelling of the, or weeks ago, we saw what the indwelling of the Spirit looks like. And actually, Edwin did some of the heavy lifting for me once again, annoying that this is going to be the next portion of our, of our text, but he was talking about what does a faithful ministry look like. And so we kind of, I kind of piggyback on that because this is where our text leads us this morning. So allow me to read here. We're going to be covering verses 8 through 20. Yes, it's quite a bit, and there will be a couple of points, so please bear with me, but I trust that we will be able to um, glean from this and see Christ from the scriptures this morning. At least that's my heart and that's my hope. But this message is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? We talk about this kingdom, the kingdom here on earth, but what is it? What does it look like? And hopefully today we get to see what Paul is actually doing, something that's not foreign to us because we've been seeing this over and over again. Every town that he goes to, we almost, with the same introduction, you could almost go verbatim. You guys should have it memorized by now. And shame on you if you don't. But this is what he, what he does, right? I'm, I'm being facetious. But uh, this, this is um, what it says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 19. And it says, And he, referring to Paul, entered the synagogue, and for three months, Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear Upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And this is the reading of of the word of the Lord this morning. A lot of things here that we're going to get to cover, actually two topics that many of us are not unfamiliar with. We've seen, and maybe you've been around evangelicalism for some time, you see that we're going to be doing what, what are miracles, right? We see some demonic activity. So what does that look like? So we're going to address those things. But, but before we get there, we must recognize, so the first point that we have here this morning is that the kingdom of God has faithful labors. This is what I was referring to Edwin when he was talking about last week. I'm not going to take too much time on this, but this is exactly the heart. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. There are faithful labors ministering. Paul has been doing this over and over again. Every city that he walks to, every city that he goes into, where does he go? A synagogue. And in the synagogue he finds, obviously Jews, perhaps some proselytes there that, that were there, but he goes and he enters, and, and I love that word,
1: he enters. He enters, because many of us are the kind that wait for people to come to us. He
0: goes, I mean, this is the fulfillment of Matthew 28. This is the commission. This is what the commission is about. This is not just simply, I've seen it and I've done it, believe me. I'm not counting myself as the exception here. Hey, come to church. Hey, why don't you come here? Come, come here, the, the pastor, preach, you know, and. And hear the gospel message. And praise the Lord if you go to a church that preaches the gospel message. Praise the Lord for that. But You can also preach the gospel message. And you can also go and you can also enter. Many times we wait and we just simply want people to come to us. And yet we forget that our very Savior went. He came, didn't he? He didn't just leave us to figure this out and come to him. He came to earth. He came here to be the light. And this is what Philippians 2 talks about. Paul reminding the Philippians, he says, though being in the form of God, he did not, meaning Jesus, referring to Jesus, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Right? For what? By taking the form of a servant. How did he do that? By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. So this is the Savior that's already modeling this for us. And this is the Savior that Paul is modeling, that he's imitating. He goes and he doesn't care. He just goes into that synagogue. He enters and he's there. For how long does the scripture say? He's there for about three months. He, for him, it, it, it's irrelevant. And John 3, look at what John writes. He says, John 3, 17. We all know John 3:16, but 17 is the one that we tend to glance over. But verse 17 says, For God did send His Son into the world, did not send His Son to condemn the world, but in
1: order that the world might be saved through Him. Boy, so Jesus is not here to condemn? Love no, it, we already stand condemned.
0: Apart from Christ, we're for condemned. This is, this is where we are. This is our reality. You are born in
1: sin and dead in your trespasses. But God sent His Son. God sent his son to save the world.
0: And there's many of you here that have come to put your faith and trust in Christ because of, because of him, because of the message that he preached, of who he said he was and who the apostles said he was, and who they gave their lives to proclaim. It's Jesus. So yes, the kingdom of God has faithful labors, but it doesn't end there, does it? The kingdom of God has faithful, but to have a faithful labor can be Kind of vague, right? What is a faithful labor? Well, a faithful laborer in the kingdom of God is one that preaches Christ and his word. This is what you see in verses 9 and 10. See, Paul is a Jewish rabbi. He's a scholar. When he enters a synagogue, he's not going to find people that are like, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. These are people that know the Old Testament. They are very familiar with what he's talking about. And Paul expects that. Yes, there were some, probably some Jewish proselytes there, like I mentioned earlier. But his heart is to reach his countrymen. Yes, to take the, the, uh, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. But we also see that this is the labor that God has raised, that has called to preach his word. And he's not flabbergasted, right? Because we see that,
1: what do they do there in the synagogue? In the synagogue, they become stubborn. Interesting word. The the word stubborn is one that's hardened. They're hearing this for
0: three months, over and over again, the message of Christ, the message of Christ, the message of Christ, and their hearts are actually becoming hardened to the point that the scriptures actually say that they continued in unbelief. But does that cause Paul to somehow say, you know, "Eh, what am I doing wrong and question? Maybe change his mode. Maybe he needs to water down the message so that they can kind of accept it. Is that what he he does? No, at times, yeah, he ends up leaving.
1: But beloved, the point that we need to, in terms of application, is that evangelism is very simple.
0: Evangelism is very simple. And what do I mean by that? Evangelism is basically three things. Remembering that you were once there. Remembering that the person that you are preaching the gospel to is who you were before you came to Christ. And if you know the person, it's almost like looking in a mirror, like, I know exactly where you are. I know exactly the objections that you have. I know where you are. I was there. That's the first part. Remembering you were once there. And the second part is remembering that by God's grace, you are no longer there. Because someone came to preach the gospel to you. And someone was patient enough to go ahead and continue speaking the gospel to you and studying the word with you. I love how our, our Pastor Bob, right, um, in his uh, testimony here when he, when he became a member, he shared there was something about his coworker, His coworker. what did he do? He opened his home, and you went. Over time, it didn't happen overnight. Sometimes it does, but it was just continuous consistency. Time after time, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, answering questions to the point that our brother had to say, can I have a word with you? And I love it. The man that got on his knees that day to pray was not the same man that got up that day from his knees. And, that, and that's exactly what we, and that's what our hope is for that person. That after that conversation, that person would say, the one that entered this conversation is not the same one that's exiting. Right? But that's exactly what evangelism is. So it's remembering that you were once there, remembering that by God's grace you are no longer there, and the third is to preach Christ and Him crucified. Because it's by His grace that you're no longer there, and it's also by His grace that that person will come to believe by faith in Jesus. So that sinners may be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's what it's about. That's evangelism in a nutshell. Stop reinventing the wheel. But it's exactly that message that Christ came to die for sinners, to take the place of sinners. What we're remembering today in communion. It's exactly that message that people will reject. They're not rejecting you, beloved. If you're sharing the gospel, now, they might be rejecting you (laughs) if the manner in which in which you're sharing the gospel, is antagonistic. Who wants to have somebody, who's going to come to Christ just with somebody pointing their fingers like this?
1: Because that's not what Christ came to do. Did Christ come to you pointing his finger? You? You already
0: got the enemy for that. He's the accuser. But that's not what Christ does. He's the one that bends down and picks you up. That's the Savior that we have. And so don't take it personal because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message. But also be careful. Be careful of how you share the gospel. Don't be that Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm sharing the gospel, but be like, man. <laughs> oh, he's coming into the cafeteria, into the break room. Let me, let me, let me wash up. Let me finish quickly and let me, let me leave before they come and sit down. Because they're just uh, obnoxious. Don't be that Christian. Be the one that's winsome. Be the one that goes with your co-workers to that company event at Christmas. Will there be drunkards? Absolutely. Will there be people and debauchery? Absolutely. But there there you are to be a light. You don't have to participate. Because Jesus went to the wedding. You think there wasn't debauchery there? But he was there. Because this is the heart. Now I know, it's like, oh, but light has no fellowship with darkness. You're not partaking in the debauchery, but be a light. This is the heart of the gospel because the Lord came into the debauchery of this world for you and for me. And so that's what we need to remember. This is what a faithful laborer is, is one who preaches Christ, is one who's continuing to preach the word convincingly because they believe that same gospel message and it's that same gospel message that has transformed them. Do it, not in a pompous heart, but do it with sincerity, with genuineness, with love, with humility. Share that gospel message. And the point, and point three, this is where we get into the part that perhaps some of you are interested in. The kingdom of God and miracles, yes, there are miracles in the kingdom of God. We were talking about, some of you heard that we're here for Sunday school, we're listening to some of that. It says, and God was doing extraordinary, and I'm going to emphasize that, extraordinary. We'll say extraordinary, but it's extra, it's composed, it's it's a compound word, right? Extraordinary. Miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched the skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Yeah, Paul was reasoning with them. He was they're persuading the Jews. He did that for three months and then spent their two years. He kept on pursuing that. That, that. That's the longevity, one that's faithful. He was there.
1: But now we come to this part where extraordinary miracles. Yeah, healing the sick. Exercising spirits.
0: See, something from maybe from one of those you know, shows or things that you might watch on those networks. I could, I could imagine that's probably what it looked like. Like, if we were there, we'd probably be like, whoa, what's going on here? But that is exactly what's happening. Handkerchiefs and aprons, I know Edwin has one. No? He has a handkerchief. But that's not one from with a televangelist that, uh, that, he, that, he, that he purchased on TV because he sold a little sum-sum, you know? That's not one of those handkerchiefs. But, but, this is what's happening. Now, we have to make note that during this time, it was very common, it was a very common practice, They believe that, you know, anything that, and the same thing, you know, if you touch the hem of Jesus' garment, if you just give me something, even Peter's shadow, if the Lord used Peter's shadow, we read about that already. So if, if something that touched Paul's skin was enough to go ahead and heal
1: me, right? Because these are special people of God. The best thing that I can think of is when I was young,
0: the equivalent of that was when, Some of you know, but there was a guy by the name of D. Brown. Taj knows uh, who I'm talking about. Some of you know, you you guys know. Basketball player, dunk contest. Got a year. Guy, man, he all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) Jordan jumping from the free throw line. But this guy does something crazy. D. Brown from the Boston Celtics decides to jump and just does one of these and dunks the ball with his... uh... But right before he did that, what did he do? He got those pumps. And he started pushing them. And these shoes... All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, he pumped. Like, what is he doing? He had little basketballs on the, on the little tongue of the sneakers, and he kept on pumping them. And all of a sudden, you think, man, that's what caused him to go ahead and do that. Those things started selling out. You couldn't find those shoes for you sneakerheads. But that, and, and, and in basketball, this is what we think it's like, man, those sneakers, man, you're going to get the Jordans, man. you're going to get to play like Jordan. I'm vertically challenged. I've never been able to dunk. And no shoe has ever helped me dunk. Okay? Doesn't matter. Taj has been able to dunk. I haven't. But this is the kind of concept that we think that somehow people are going to go ahead and wear these things and it's going to miraculously help. No, that's not the case. Here it does happen, but does it happen today? And that's the question that we have to ask. Are these the kind of miracles that are happening today? What does it mean? We have to ask these questions because we're confronted with them, and this is what is good about doing consecutive preaching, right? This expository preaching is that you have to confront these things. I can't sidestep this,
1: this issue. I have to deal with it. So let's deal with it. Don't believe the televangelists. I'm going to tell you that up front.
0: I'm not going to... If they're going to go ahead and sell you a little... Come and sow a seed and and buy this handkerchief, and he's going to go... It's a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of hogwash. Don't buy it. Don't sow. It's not.
1: Okay? They prey on desperate people. But... But I want to say this. The London Baptist
0: Confession Yeah, that thing that you guys had to read when you guys became members, remember? 1689, chapter 5, section 3 says, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. What does that mean? We're going to see what that means here in a second. Because many times we think that we're formulaic. We've said this before. We've we've, we've encountered this. We're formulaic people. We want steps, give me A, B, and C. And if I copy these steps, I should get the same result, right? Like in a science experiment. If you go to a science experiment, science tells you, if you do step one, step two, I should be able to replicate the same result. But this is not science. This is something beyond that. So we have to look at what exactly is this miracle? What is happening here? Can we expect these same kind of miracles? And I know this morning, you heard like, yes, we can expect them. Well, allow me to define what is a miracle. What do we mean by miracle?
1: Is a miracle, a child being born a miracle? It could be. Someone getting healed from a terminal illness. Is that a miracle? Yeah. No one's denying that those are supernatural acts.
0: But is that the way the scriptures use, or this is what we're seeing here in terms of miracles? Remember, the word miracles in the the Greek text does not exist. We use, we see the word signs, we see the word wonders, we see the word power. And we see, yes, the, the English translation of miracle. But there's different forms of it. John, if you look at the Gospel of John, what does John do? Jesus did what? Signs. Signs because signs do what? They have a significance. And again, the word sign is in significance, right? That's where you see this. So you have this word sign because they point to something. That's the purpose. So what is a miracle? So we have to find the context for this. So you have the word, in um, John, when he uses the word sign, it's the Greek word simeon for that for that particular word. For power, it's dynamis. For wonder, it's terror.
1: That, those are the words that we see in the Greek. They point to a greater,
0: specifically to the power of God, in whom who is actually the one doing these acts through the apostles. That's exactly what we're dealing with. So they're always in the context of something extraordinary, right? R.C. Sproul was very helpful in this because this is what he says. He says all miracles. Are supernatural but not all supernatural acts are miracles okay so
1: we have to put that in context right up front because if that's the case and yes a child being born is a miracle but children are born every day there's nothing extraordinary about that there's terminal illnesses that are healed
0: But when we're talking about in terms of this, we have to define what is a miracle.
1: And so, if a miracle is not that, then what is it? What is the purpose then of a miracle? Well,
0: I'm glad you asked. Because the purpose of a miracle, yes, it points to God. It points to God. But the miracles that they were doing, the signs and wonders that that were being done during this time, were also to confirm to attest to the validity, the authentication of the very ones that were doing these miracles, the ones that were doing these signs. This is my servant. That is the purpose of the sign. So it's really nothing more than that. And I'll give you an example here. Christ. How did people know that this is the Christ? There were many people that came to be Christ and the messiahs.
1: Jesus wasn't the only one. How, how do we know it was him? Because of the signs. If you don't believe me, then believe me by the signs that I've done.
0: Because these are authentic. These are not coming from me. Everything that I've done, everything that I do, everything that I say comes from the Father. That's the heart of Christ. And so in Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. distributed according to his will. So these signs, these wonders, this power was the way God bore witness. This is my servant.
1: They're not doing this of their own accord. I'm doing it through them. I'm confirming that. Second Corinthians 12.2. The signs of a true apostle
0: were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders, and mighty works. The signs of a true apostle. If
1: anyone can do signs, should then we deduce that we are also apostles? If I can do a miracle? Like the guys that that do these
0: healing campaigns and what we see there on TV? Come, be healed, come, come. Because that that doesn't exist. Those apostles that that call them, these self-proclaimed apostles today don't
1: exist. They don't fit the criteria of scripture, to be an apostle. This is not me saying it. This is what scripture teaches.
0: So if they don't fit it, so what are they doing then? Are they just simply doing miracles and healings and all that?
1: Well, I haven't seen anybody walk on water. Have you seen any one of those guys walk on water? Have you seen
0: legs and arms that have been severed and all of a sudden touched and boom, another one
1: comes out? Or an amputated leg and another one comes out? Have you seen anyone raised from the dead after they've been stone cold dead?
0: I'm not talking about resuscitated after, after minutes, you know, of a cardiac arrest. I'm not
1: talking about that. I'm talking about you've been dead. Like, you stink. There's full rigor mortis going on, and, and this person comes back.
0: That's the miracle. Those are the signs that we're talking about. I don't see any of those. I haven't seen them. Maybe some of you have, but I haven't. Now, that's not to say, well, if you haven't seen them, that doesn't mean that they don't exist, that they haven't happened. These ministries that you see on TV are worldwide. They're not local to West Kendall area.
1: And I don't see them. There's no reports of them. Because, again, they were meant
0: to do, to attest to the fact of who these men were during this time that were preaching the gospel. The ministry that was that was being established there as the New Testament was being written. So are there miracles in the general sense? Yes. Yes, a child, you can, a child is a miracle, and, and people it's a miracle that someone will go ahead and be healed of a, of a, of a terminal illness. Yes, I, I, those, are, those are miracles, but in the strict sense, it goes beyond that. And so we have to be careful how we use this, because people will pray on those that are unaware they're sheep remember you guys are sheep and there's wolves out there and they will deceive and they're not going to come to you with showing their teeth they come with something very nice and pleasant and appealing and a message that's that draws you in that's the way a sheep a wolf in sheepskin right so yes, I do believe that there's miracles. So don't believe... But I want to I clarify that because I don't want people to think, oh, well, he doesn't believe there are miracles. No, there are miracles. But in the stricter sense of what this actually means, the signs, the wonders, right? The power of what's being done was for something far greater. And they always pointed to God. Point four. What is this kingdom of God? And there's demons and evil spirits? I know for a lot of you... This is not something that's foreign. We just had Halloween. Halloween, this is a fun time. This is where all this activity that we start seeing and people go to these haunted houses and the paranormal and everybody loves these kind of things. I know some of you kids are, are, have seen it. You've seen, uh, or, or maybe some of you have even dabbled in it. I don't know. But what I do know is that the kingdom of God does have demonic activity and we're going to deal with that here in a second. Okay? So Mark actually documents, uh, this is, listen to what Mark, uh, this is the gospel writer Mark, this is what he says, he says, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us, but Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. So it was a reality in Jesus' time. There was demonic demonic activity. There were people there that were being controlled. were they? So what do we even even mean? And of course, this is going to happen. So even in Luke 10, you see some of this language. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. After he had sent those 72 out. Even the demons are subject to us. So we're not hiding from this. But we have to, just like miracles... What do we mean by demonic activity? And, I'm not gonna, and I want to say this up front as well. I'm not here to go ahead and give this more credit, or not credit, but give it more of importance than what it is, because the gospel message is not about this. Mm. The gospel message is about Christ. But because the text is dealing with this, we will go ahead and do that. And that's not meant to be a cop-out statement. I just don't want to give this more importance than what it's due. The world already does a good job of doing that. Do demon possessions occur today? Can Christians be possessed? Can they? No, they can't. They can't. Well, why can't they? Because you have been sealed. What we heard about two weeks ago, the indwelling of the Spirit. You have been sealed by the Spirit. Because think about this. If you could be possessed and be under full control of a a demon or some type of, you know, evil spirit. What does that say about the Holy Spirit that now lives in you? Does the Holy Spirit now take a back seat and say, hey, you know, I'm rendered powerless because this evil spirit now is controlling you? No. The Holy Spirit is there and he's in you now. Can other things happen? We'll address that here in a second. But right from the beginning, I want you to know, no. You have been sealed, according to Ephesians 1, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So get that out of your minds if you think that that's the case. But if possession we mean demonic influence, attack, or activities, can that affect Christians? The answer is yes. It can. It can. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, what does he tell us? Put on the armor of God. Why do you need to wear an armor? Because there's spiritual warfare going on. There's spiritual warfare going on this very moment. You may not be seeing it. But the distractions, the, the flag, I mean, there's so much going on that we don't even know. And we don't even know. Back in the day, he would have taken you to the bathroom. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was. See, we're talking about. But that's exactly what we're, what we're, what we're talking about in that There is demonic activity that that does take place, and Christians are affected. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 6. He tells us, put on the armor. I'll read it for you. He says, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Against the schemes of the devil. The, The devil hasn't stopped scheming. The devil is still out there working. I know some people don't like to talk about this, because the other extreme is what the enemy has done to make us believe there's no such thing as evil spirits. There's no such thing as demonic activity. You are sealed in Christ, and therefore it doesn't exist. And he's done a good job of that. But it does happen. We're not in one extreme, and we're not the other. We try to be center, Right? right. And, and so Paul continues, as, Why do we need to put on this armor for the schemes of the devil? He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We think that the physical presence that's before us is the issue. And many times that's not the case. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In verse 16, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The enemy doesn't rest. He doesn't take a vacation. I might be a small fish. And many of us, in many ways, are small fish. We're not the Billy Grahams of our days. We're not the, you know, the Charles
1: Spurgeons. I believe those, or even Paul, talking about, talking about a thorn. We're not there. We have our own thorns. But we're not there. And so, But it's still a reality
0: that we have to take up our faith. Oh, I'm not Charles Burgeon. I'm not such and such person. Therefore, I can put my guard down. No. Under no circumstance can you put your guard down. As a matter of fact, put your armor on and take up your shield of faith. Because the enemy is there with his fiery darts. Many of you dealing with, with guilt. Sins that the Lord has already covered.
1: that He's already forgiven you. But there you are with that guilt bogging you down. The accuser of the brethren. Is there.
0: I've never seen one time anyone or the enemy ever or scripture speak of the enemy
1: coming down and picking you up when you're down. That's what Christ does, but not the evil one. The evil one will kick you when you're down. But Christ comes to clean up your wounds. Come Christ Christ comes to heal, to bind up those that are brokenhearted. That's our Savior. So is there demonic activity? Yes, without a doubt there is. But for a believer, your trust is in Christ. And your trust must remain in Him. Keep your eyes on your Savior. Remember, you're a new creation according to 2 Corinthians 5. You're a new creation. Keep walking. Will you stumble? Yes. But keep walking. That's what grace is there. And notice what the evil spirit says to the sons of Siva. If you read there in your Bible, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but you? No, is you nobody.
0: Who are you? And so and that's the reality of where we find ourselves. So this is,
1: I mean, so much so that this man just came out and overpowered and controlled them. This is a word of caution to many of you that are perhaps considering or thinking or entertaining the idea
0: of messing around with this kind of stuff. Don't do it. And I'm not telling you just because of Scripture. I can tell you because that is exactly my wife's testimony.
1: That is the world that she came from. And I'm not here to go ahead and share stories. If you're interested, she she can tell you. The reality of demonic presence. But our hope is in Christ. That is the point. Christ has overcome all this. The enemy is rendered powerless. You're a believer in Christ. He has no power over you. None whatsoever. Zero. All teeth, no bite. Of course, the teeth are the ones that scares us. But he has no
0: bite. He can't do anything to you. Because of Christ. Because of his blood that covers you. And the last one is that the kingdom of God is made up of sinners. Verses 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, meaning he was exalted. His name was praised from this particular episode of what happened here. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Beloved, even the enemy can't keep the Lord's name from being exalted. Not even the enemy. As much power as you might think he has, and he, he has
1: quite a bit, he has more knowledge than I do. But even the enemy can't stop from the name of Christ
0: being exalted. And the fear that we're talking about here is a word that basically means panic. Ever had a panic attack? Anyone here ever had a panic attack? That's what it's like. It's a a phobia. That the moment, the very thing that you fear is in front of you, that's when you start, you you, you lose it. And you become irrational, even. People were with that kind of fear. But the name of the Lord was exalted.
1: That's what we see. And the fear that fell on them also brought about something very interesting. It brought about a confession. I will say it until I'm, until the Lord takes me home. Confession, beloved, is a gift. Confession is a
0: gift. If you view it in the sense of a police, yes, you're confessing. Now, we view it because that's the only way we see confession. Is that I confess to an authority, to some police authority, and I confess my crime, what am I going to get?
1: My due punishment. Right? If I am found guilty. But before the eyes of God, confession is simply saying, I agree. I am that sinner that you say in your word that I am. I have done the things that you said I have done. And apart from you, I have no hope. But that is the confession that brings about, so it is a gift. My wife
0: and I, and the other thing is also not just the confession. It's uncomfortable. To confess is not...
1: It's not fun. I'm not saying it is. It brings about shame. It does. But it's necessary. You say, but why do I want to go through the shame? Because when you confess
0: the shame that you feel, you immediately know that there's one that took that shame upon himself
1: to the cross. The one that was sinless from the beginning. Who never knew sin took your shame and mine to the cross. So take it. Confess. And the second thing here is that what
0: my wife and I tell our kids constantly is, what well, you keep in hiding, we'll have power over you. What you keep in hiding, we'll have power over you. I can never share it because if I do, then, you know, no, share it. This is the whole purpose of 1 John nine: Confess your sins. Confess your sins to the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, but what if I didn't sin? Good thing you asked. I'm not a sinner. Well, then you're a liar. Because First John says right after that, he says, Well, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar.
1: And his word is not in us. So confess. Confess. That's the way it works. This is the gospel.
0: Confession includes surrendering the very things that you confessed. You can't just
1: simply confess and say, I'm going to hold on to this. Let me give you an example. Not one that I'm proud of. But it's an example. I came to Christ years ago. And one of the things that I used to do is,
0: back in the day when there was DVDs and, and remember that store called Blockbuster? Some of you remember that? You had the little Blockbuster card I found recently. But um, in Blockbuster, you can rent your movies, you can go ahead and and what I would do is I would go and rent the movies, burn them, (laughs) and keep them, right? Hey, I raced, I rented it, right? And by the way, I'm not violating
1: copyright laws because I'm not distributing this. This is my thinking. Until the Lord convicted me. Until the Lord convicted me to my shame. I'm telling you, you, to you it might seem like this is just
0: you know, peanuts. But to me, it was heavy. To me, it, it, he pressed me because I didn't want to go. But I'm not doing anything. I had justified it in my mind. And my wife can even tell you because she used to be a, a spinning. I'm sorry, you're going to have to share this. But uh, she used to be a spinning instructor. And when she was spinning, she used to have, you know, as a spinning instructor, you have to have your own music so you can go ahead and do your class. Well, she would do a lot of this. And one of the things that happens is that she would lend out her CDs, and she would make her own playlist. <laughs> this is crazy. We used to you know, make our own playlist, and then you had LimeWire. And remember, Napster, LimeWire, so on and so forth. And she would download the movies because she would give away the, the, the CDs to people, and then they would never give them back. Like, Well, I purchased them, so she would download them again.
1: I already purchased them once. And the Lord convicted her. And the same thing that happened to me is important.
0: Because what I had to do was not, Lord, forgive me that I burned these DVDs illegally, you know, and I'm sorry. Let me go out. But I'm going to keep my library, though. No, I had to destroy every single one of them.
1: Mm.
0: The Lord, that was a conviction to that degree that I had to get rid of it. And I didn't just throw them away, by the way. I cut every single one. I broke every single one, and I scratched every single one of them up. Because should, should somebody find this burnt copy, they're not going to be able to use it. That was to the event. So that's what I'm telling you. Confession brings about an act. It's not just simply saying, I'm sorry. It is the 180 turn. And that's what we need to remember. True confession brings about the 180 degree turn. Turning back from that sin that ensnared you and running to the to the Lord, our Christ. And so what's the conclusion? Beloved, the conclusion is really where where the text ended. The word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. That's the conclusion. That's the name of the game. Not that this is a game, because as we're talking about life and death, but this is what it's all about. That the name of the Lord would increase mightily and greatly. And guess who it's going to increase through? Through you and through me. His servants, his ambassadors here on earth. Those that represent the Christ that saved them from their sins. This was Paul's ministry. Uh, This wasn't about Paul's ministry. This wasn't about his healing. This wasn't even about the exercising of the evil spirits. This is about Christ. Paul's initial goal when he entered the synagogue was to boldly reason with them, right? But the goal was to proclaim the kingdom of God. So what is this kingdom of God? There is no kingdom of God without Christ. There is no kingdom of God without Christ. And the reason I can tell you that is because we see it in Ephesians. All the scriptures about Christ. This is what the kingdom of God is
1: about. This is what we're gonna celebrate. It is Him who we're gonna go ahead and celebrate here in a few seconds. The one whom God will one day put everything under His feet.
0: Ephesians 1:15 through 20. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, and by the way. This is the same Ephesians. that he, this is, He's in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter to them later. And this is what he says. is For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. Not only in this age, but also in the in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the Christ. This is the Jesus whom one day not will all things also be rendered, but we too will one day render our worship to for all eternity. The one who we're going to lay our crowns before one day.
1: Keep that in mind. Don't lose sight of that. Amen.